Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. It is such a blessing when preparing to preach God's Word that God providentially directs your daily life in the matters and situations that have much to do with what He's laid on your heart to preach. And uh, therefore, this week has been very encouraging, inspiring, and at the same time, very humbling for me. And I look forward to, again, this morning, preaching unto you the unsearchable riches of Christ. Matthew chapter 6. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father, your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to call you Heavenly Father. My Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning that we might see out of these words of our beloved Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we might see and understand the compassion and loving care of our Heavenly Father. Though we find in these words strong words of rebuke and exhortation, Lord, we also find in those rebuke and exhortations the chastisement of a loving Father who truly does pity his children. My Father, I pray that you'd help me, Father, this morning. As I prepare to preach these words, I pray that, Lord, you'd open up our hearts and our minds, that we might understand even more intimately your great compassion and care for your children. And that, Lord, you are concerned and take interest in our fears as well as our needs, as menial as they are sometimes. Father, you care about us in every intricate way there is, not only for the things of eternity, but also for the things concerning this temperate life. Lord, I pray you'd be honored and glorified and that your children this morning would see a part of you that, Father, maybe possibly we've forgotten or, Lord, we've just never really spent much time considering. I pray you'd be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Allow me this morning to briefly turn your hearts and your affections away from our passage of Scripture in First Peter to examine a passage of Scripture which is just as relevant as our passage in First Peter and one which I believe addresses an ever-growing danger in this present time especially today, with the economy, the situation of the world. What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? 
such existential anxiety and overwhelming fear of the absence or lack of the daily needs of life, dearly beloved, have never been so prevalent and widespread in the world as it is today. This anxiety, this fear, is fueled by the sinfulness of man, whose heart and desires are set on the things of this present world. Yet when those things and pleasures are threatened, their fear and anxiety rises to an unimaginable level. For after all these things, our Lord said in our text, do the Gentiles seek, the lost, the sinful seek these things. Because that's all they live for. What to eat, what to drink, and how to be clothed. And when those things are threatened, sinful man rises to unimaginable levels of evil and wickedness. He becomes desperate and hopeless, disheartened, and even more wretched and dangerous. All of which can clearly be seen in this present world today. And yet, our text and the length of Christ's discourse on this subject proves that such fear and anxiety over such temporal, even daily needs of this present life can even threaten the hope, the comfort, and joy of the true believer. He speaks of this danger lengthy. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought. I want to notice first two things in our text this morning. I'll hopefully, Lord willing, finish it out next week with the exhortation. But I want to begin this morning with two things about this passage of Scripture, which I hope will greatly comfort us and encourage us in the matter of God's compassion towards His children and His pity and care for them, that He does care. He does care, and He is concerned for everything that causes us fear. And we do fear a lot of things. And not only that, but that in this passage of Scripture, it proves that God is even interested in maintaining and preserving and keeping us, even in the small, seemingly insignificant needs of life. God will take care of us. This is the wonder of our loving Father that Christ has brought us into relationship with, that He cares for us, even on the small, seemingly insignificant things of this temporal life. And that when we're afraid and we're fearful, He takes notice of that. Why is that so important? I'm getting ahead of myself, but I believe some people, especially those who begin to learn the doctrines of grace, begin to praise God about the great sovereignty and providence of God, and yet they have trouble understanding or finding comfort in that divine providence and sovereignty of God in their own personal lives. That though He governs the world, His providence governs the universe, yet do we all, how often or how less do we apply that sovereignty and providence to our own daily needs? I want you to notice, first of all, in our text, that though such excessive fear of daily needs is not only unbecoming of a Christian, 
even sinful, as we'll see next week, Christ does not ignore or disregard such fears, but he would comfort us against them. Listen to his words, verse 25. Therefore, I say unto thee, take no thought. Now, he says those words five times in our text, which immediately tells me that Christ is concerned about our fears. Take no thought. Don't be anxious about the things you need to eat or drink or wear. Don't be fearful about not having these things. This same word, take no thought, be anxious, is the same word Paul uses in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, where he says, be careful over anxious for nothing. It's the same word as our Lord's word, take no thought. Paul says, be careful, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Take no thought, be not over anxious. It's the same word Paul uses. And our Lord expresses it five times in our text. Take no thought. Be not anxious, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. That's the key to this entire text. Take no thought. Be not over-anxious about the things you need to eat or drink or be clothed with, because your heavenly Father, you see how we reference his heavenly Father? He doesn't just say God. He purposely says your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things, which proves Christ takes a great interest in our fears and our anxieties, even of the temporal things in life. We think it's, we think it's carnal or it's unbecoming of us, and it is to an extent that we fear sometimes our temporal needs, but we do. And then sometimes we think God isn't concerned or He doesn't take an interest in these small fears I have of my temporal needs. And yet our text proves God does. Even though He rebukes us for being over-anxious, it proves He still takes a great interest when you and I fear our temporal daily needs. Beloved, Christ is not indifferent or unconcerned about our fears and our anxieties. But the text proves He takes a great interest in them and will always give us great promises to relieve or even drive them from our hearts. He, he He's concerned about them. He takes interest in them, but He would have them driven from our hearts. For your heavenly Father knoweth. Listen to this, these words of comfort, compassion. You can hear how the Lord is concerned about it. He takes an interest in that. For your heavenly Father knoweth. Are ye not better than they? Therefore I say unto you, not anybody, but Christ speaks unto us. He said, therefore I say unto you. It's not anybody who's saying these words. Christ saying, therefore I say unto you, your good shepherd, your Savior, the author and finisher of your faith, I'm saying unto you. And when Christ says something... <laughs> There's power and authority and comfort in those words. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. I say unto you. 
I'm glad that when I have times when I fear, and we'll look at that in a few minutes, I'm glad when there's times when I fear that I can go to Christ, and though it's unbecoming of a Christian and God would have us conquer that fear or vanquish that fear, He's still interested in that fear. He takes concern of that fear. He listens to that. Remember in John chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. (laughs) Neither let it be afraid. I'm getting ahead of myself and I'll remind you again later, but he's not speaking of the absence of fear. He's speaking of the conquering of it. Neither let it be afraid. He speaks of that because there's a danger of that happening in every heart of every believer, that they're troubled and they're afraid. And Christ says, I say unto you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So you see, we immediately see that our Heavenly Father is concerned about our fears and our anxieties. Let me read a few more verses of Scripture that prove this. Our Father says, or the prophet says in Isaiah 41.10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Which implies that someone is fearing. Our Lord said, fear thou not, for I am with thee. You remember I am? (laughs) Can you follow back to uh, Moses? Who shall I say send me? The Lord says, I am. I am the eternal, everlasting God. Fear thou not. Why? For I am with thee. Be not dismayed. Why? For I am thy God. Again, twice. I'm God. I'm God. Uh, For I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Isaiah 41.10. Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, eternity and present life. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So you see, there is an evidence that there's a possibility, a danger of fearing. I like better what David said in Psalm 56, what time I'm afraid. He didn't say I'm not afraid. He said what time I am afraid. David didn't say I don't get afraid. Let me tell you something, beloved. There's a lot of things in this life that make us afraid. We're human. And there's a lot of things in this life that make us afraid. And though it's unbecoming of a Christian and God would have us conquer that through Him, vanquish that out of our hearts and our lives, He still admits, He still shows us in these passages of Scripture that He is intimately concerned and interested in our every fear. He doesn't look at it as saying, oh, come on, would you just get off of it and grow up? He's interested in every fear. He wants us to vanquish that fear. He wants us to conquer that fear. He takes an interest when my heart is afraid. And I love that about my God. He takes an interest when my heart is afraid. And there's been many times in my life as being a Christian over 40 years when I've been afraid. 
Many times having not even mentioned it to my wife, but keeping it to myself in my bosom and taking it before God, saying, Father, I'm afraid. I'm fearful of this. Help me that I might know what your will is. Help me to be encouraged and strengthened that you care and that you understand. And I'm glad that I can go to a, a God, a Heavenly Father, who takes interest in my fears. What time I'm afraid, David said, I will trust in thee. In God will I praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Again, there's a presence, a danger of fear that David brings to the Lord. All these verses and many more, dearly beloved, speak not of the absence of fear but of the conquering and vanquishing of it, not the absence. Sometimes we think it's so unbecoming to be fearful that we judge ourselves more harshly than God would. What time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. I get so frustrated not only with myself but others who come to know the doctrines of grace and they begin to study the great things of God, His sovereignty and His providence, His holiness and all of these things. And yet we find, we find very little comfort in these things in our, private, in our own private intimate relationship with Christ, in our daily needs, in our daily walk with God. Oh, we'll stand back and say, oh, I believe in the sovereignty of God. In election, God elects. I believe in the providence of God that the moon, the stars, and the heavens are all hung by God and everything is controlled by God. Oh, I believe in that mighty God, but we have trouble believing that that same mighty God can condescend to understand and have compassion when I'm afraid. But He does. That's what makes salvation so wonderful. This is eternal life that they might know Thee. Our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Christ in You, the hope of glory. That this same heavenly Father, this same supreme being, this, this holy, righteous God who created all these things will condescend and understand and have compassion on my fears. I say unto you, Christ says, take no thought. Don't be afraid. Five times, take no thought. Take no thought. Take no thought. The psalmist in Psalm 23, would speak of walking fearlessly through the valley of the shadow of death because Christ was his shepherd in life where he did not want. You know how he could have such fearlessness in the shadow of death? It's because his shepherd walked with him in life when he had no want. Yesterday when a dear brother was Again, confused and maybe a little irritated why God allows him to linger. I said, brother, you've, you've got to understand that everything that God does is good. Everything that God does is good. God doesn't do nothing 
for without a purpose or a reason for His glory and for your good, whatever it might be, let the flesh cry, let the f- flesh scream, let yet it be as weak as it can to where you can't even get up on your own, but find yourself submitting to the providence of God because there is going to be your greatest comfort, submission to God, whatever that might be. Our Heavenly Father knoweth that we have need of these things. He could walk fearlessly through the valley of the shadow of death where the same shepherd walked with him in life. And surely he would not want his presence in death for thou art with me, he says, for thou art with me. How does he know he's with him in the shadow of death? Well, because he was with him in life. He made him to lay down in green pastures, to walk by still waters. He restored his soul. He made a table in the presence of his enemies. <laughs> because he walked with Christ in his life, he feared not death because Christ would walk with him through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not saying, and we'll find out next week in the exhortations and rebukes of a heavenly father of this passage, I'm not saying that Christ condones fear and anxiety, but he understands it. That's what I'm trying to say, and I believe that's what Christ is saying. Take no thought. He's trying to tell us, make us understand that though he is our heavenly father, he takes interest in our fears and our anxieties. He understands them. He doesn't speak of the absence of them, but the conquering of them, the vanquishing of them, the triumphing over them. Take no thought for your life. That's the first comfort. The first divine comfort in this passage of Scripture. Our Heavenly Father takes a great interest in our fears. Never forget that. So when you fear, don't be embarrassed or ashamed to go before your Heavenly Father, but cast all your cares upon Him, for He cares for thee. Pour out your hearts before God, the psalmist says. What time I'm afraid, I'll trust in thee. The second divine and comforting truth found in our text is that though we must not be over-anxious for our daily needs, God, our Heavenly Father, knows we have need of all these things. Look in verse 31. Therefore take no thought, saying what ye shall eat, or what shall we drink, or withal shall we be clothed, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your Heavenly Father knoweth knoweth that you have need of all these things. Look at that. He knoweth that you have need of these things. Isn't that amazing? We're asking the question, what shall I eat? What shall I drink? Wherewithal shall be clothed? And Christ says, your father knows you have needs of those things. He's not ignorant of that. He knows that. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added Unto you. I like how, we'll get into that next week, I like how the Lord doesn't say, and all these things shall be given unto you. He said, it be added unto you. It's like, it's, it's nothing for God. He can give you that. It's nothing for God. Henry Martin, when he was in China as a missionary, and he was down to his last bowl of soup, he had no more. They had had neighbors come and bring him food, sit on a porch, never knowing who they were, but they didn't show up that week. And so he sits at the table with his last bowl of soup, 
And <clears throat> as he's sitting over his last bowl of soup and he's asking the Lord to bless it, he said in his first something to this extent, he said, Lord, I have, I have all this, talking about this one last bowl of soup, I have this and all the blessings of God. What more should I want? Your father knoweth that you have need. You have need of these things. Your heavenly father knoweth. And I love that point. Because when the Lord says heavenly, he's saying high and lifted up. Yet your father, your heavenly father. You remember when they asked the Lord, teach us how to pray? He says, okay, this is how you ought to pray after this manner. Our heavenly father. Our Father, which art in heaven, your heavenly, high, supreme, lifted up, yet your Father. He's not only supreme, high, and lifted up above all things, being God, but He's also your Father. So, He's not only able, because He's heavenly, He's high, and lifted up, and supreme. He's able, but He has compassion on you and pity on you like a Father. Are you, are you following me? That psalm we sung. He pities us like a father. And that's wonderful comfort to a child of God. Not only that he's able to provide all these things we need, he's more than able because he's high, heaven, supreme. But what makes it comforting and the most comforting is this same God that is supreme and high, lifted up above all things, is also my father. Would a father deny his child anything that he needed? Does not a father have compassion on his children and would do anything for their welfare and their care? Our heavenly father is much greater than our earthly fathers. So Christ would have us know that He takes an interest in our fears and anxieties and that He is also aware of what we need. And He takes an interest even in these seemingly small and insignificant temporal things of life. You know, sometimes when I was a young Christian, I was kind of a little afraid or intimidated to ask God for things that pertain to this present life, like, oh, I can't do that. I, God's only going to give me things when it's talking about spiritual things. That, you know, I should only be praying for, you know, more holiness and, and more joy and more understanding of Scripture, which we ought to. But I was almost intimidated and afraid to ask God if maybe He could provide me the right job that I might provide my family or provide me this temporal thing that I might be able to do that. And, and Christ is telling us in this passage of Scripture, God knows we have need of these Temporal things, what we shall eat, what we shall drink, what we shall be clothed. This heavenly Father, this supreme being, being our Father, this twofold reference Christ uses throughout this passage of Scripture. Follow me in these verses. Verse 26, listen, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father, there it is again, feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Look in verse 30. Wherefore, if God, there's that heavenly Father, heavenly, wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, a little, O ye of little faith? 
Verse 32, For after all these things do the Gentiles seek for your heavenly Father, knoweth that you have need of all these things. And verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So our Lord is referring to both of these all the time. Always consider that he's not only heavenly, he's supreme, he's able to do anything, but he's also your Father. And he knows what you have need of. He knows what you have need of. That God, dearly beloved, who reigned supremely in the heavens, would also care for his own as a loving father, one who watches, cares, and provides for his children. That's what Christ would have us consider when we ask these questions. Not only in regards to the things of eternity, but also to the seemingly small and insignificant needs of this present life. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things, what you eat, what you drink, and what you wear. It's amazing how God, the eternal, everlasting, infinite God, would take such an interest in the seemingly small and significant things of life. But he notices that. He that created the heavens and the earth would take notice of a poor widow casting two mites, all her living, into the pot. Isn't that amazing? How Christ noticed that. There was a multitude of people casting in their abundance. People everywhere. This little old widow comes up, has her last two mites, all her living. She cast it into the pot. And it's the creator of all the heavens and earth that noticed that woman casting the God notices the small things. The small things. And he cares about the small things. Though surrounded by much people, Christ took notice and had compassion on a poor widow mother who had just lost her only son. In that text, he's surrounded by a multitude of people. And they're all looking at Christ, everybody wanting their own thing, seeking their own desire, seeking Christ for their own personal, selfish reasons. And in the midst of all that, here comes this widow woman, a widow woman, a poor widow woman, coming out to bury her only son. And Christ notices the sorrow of that poor widow woman fixing to bury her son. God notices the seemingly small things in life that we think he ignores. He notices that mother that bends her knees at night and prays to God that she might raise her children. God hears that prayer. God notices that. He sees that. Your father knows you have need of these things. Though a great multitude of impotent folk were waiting for the moving of the waters to be healed, Christ took notice of one man whom no man would help. They're all running to the waters. As soon as the angel moved the water, the first one in there would be healed. And Christ notices one man out of all the multitude, everybody again seeking their own thing, wanting their own healing, seeking selfishly for themselves. And Christ notices one man who sits there, an infinite man who cannot get up walk. And he said, what would you want? What do you want? What would you? He said, I'd love to be healed, but there's no man to help me. Christ noticed the man that no man would help. The creator of the universe. The Son of God noticed a man that nobody else did that no man would help. 
You remember Mary? When John and Peter came to the disciples, or came to the tomb, they looked at it and they believed and they said they went back to the house. Mary stayed. And she wept and she looked around the garden. She wouldn't give up. She kept looking. Mary weeping at the tomb of Christ would draw the loving care and attention of her Master. Oh, would Peter and John have stayed. But you see, there was a weeping Mary that Christ was concerned about, that Christ lovingly cared about. And so He reveals Himself to Mary. Oh, if Peter and John would have stayed just a little bit longer, but Christ noticed the weeping of Mary. When we find ourselves sometimes late at night all alone in the darkness and we're praying and weeping because we're concerned about our loved ones, our family, or even ourselves, the Creator of the heaven and earth bows down to hear our cries. He cares for us. He knows we have those needs. You remember just a short while ago when some of our jobs were threatened by this pandemic? You remember how we prayed and sought God for deliverance or understanding? God cared. Remember when we concerned for our dear brother William and his health? God cared. He condescended to care. Our Heavenly Father knoweth we have need of these things. There's nothing too small and insignificant for our Heavenly Father to hear. And though it might be a desire that our Father might not give us, He still he still invites us to bring all our cares to Him and cast them upon Him. He still invites us to bring them all to Him. Why? Because He careth for you. Even a sparrow our Lord says, shall not fall to the ground without your Father. For He says, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And I'm telling you, He's got to have some kind of calculator to count all the hairs that fall out of our head. But our Lord is simply saying, He cares that much about it. He's interested that much in you. He takes care and interest in you so much that He knows even every hair that falls out of your head. What compassion and care does the Creator of the heaven and earth through Christ Jesus, have for his children. He cares for us. This passage of Scripture, though it is a rebuke to not be over-anxious, and we'll see the fatherly rebuke and chastisement next week, I want you to understand that it's a fatherly rebuke. He, he cares about our fears, and he knows that we have needs. The psalmist said in Psalm 37, I have been young, and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. I have been young, and I'm telling you now, now I'm old. Not maybe as old as some, but I'm old. And I can testify that I have not been forsaken. And I've never went begging for bread. God has always provided if I had time, I'd tell you all the times God provided for me over the last 40 years when it seemed as though nothing would help. I've seen Him no problem to bring in finances when I need it and was broke, food when I didn't have any. I'm telling you, God has provided. My dear brother, yesterday, 
When I told him, I said, God will never forsake you. He said, but I might have forsaken God. And I said, your father won't let you. He'd have to deny himself if you're a child of God. You cannot forsake your heavenly father. He will not forsake you. He cares. And He provides. There be so many today who speak loud and boldly of God's sovereignty and providence and the creation of all things and in our divine election, yet have great difficulty finding comfort in such sovereignty and providence providing their daily needs. As though God is too great, too majestic, too infinite, too busy to take notice or to be concerned of our daily temporal needs. He's not. You need a loaf of bread? Bow and ask your Heavenly Father. Give us this day our daily bread. You see that? Even in that prayer, Christ proves that our Heavenly Father will condescend to our temporal needs. Take no thought, for your Heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Listen to that. Take no thought. Don't be afraid. Don't be over-anxious. God cares about that. Yes, He doesn't He doesn't want us to be wrapped up. He doesn't want us to be over-anxious. He wants us to be victorious over it. He wants us to conquer it. But He takes an interest in our cares and our anxieties. And not only that, He takes also an interest in our daily needs. Your Heavenly Father knows you have need of all those things. Therefore, on that foundation of God's compassion and care for His own, our Lord will also, as a heavenly Father, give strong exhortation and rebuke, which we'll look at a little bit next week, which I'm looking forward to as well, and then we'll return back to First Peter, uh, of which I only give you a foreword this morning. Verse 30, Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? O ye of little faith. Verse 27, Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto your statue? How can you change anything? That's what he's saying. How can you change anything by taking one thought of this, by being over-anxious? How's that going to help your situation? By the rubbing of the hands and the weary and the anxious and the anxiety and the fears, how's that going to change anything? How can you change anything? You can't change nothing. One of the hardest things for a child of God to do is humbly submit to the divine providence and sovereignty of God even when the flesh hates and desires to find a solution. Just humbly submitting to the providence of God. Waiting on God. How can you change one thing? You can't change a thing. It's impossible for you to change a thing. So why are you trying? Why are you worrying? Verse 34, Take therefore no thought for the morrow. You say, well, preacher, we're not supposed to plan. Oh, we can plan. He's saying, take no thought. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. 
And that's something we all have to consider. I was telling my wife yesterday, I said to go back to work this week, and I got maybe possibly state coming in for inspection. They're selling our nursing home to another company, and so I have them coming in. And, uh, it's a new company who might not allow waivers, so I might have to be, you know, for, they might try to force me to take a shot. A lot of things can change. Take no thought for tomorrow. It might not even come. For the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Leave tomorrow's worries in tomorrow. Don't bring them into today's sorrows or worries. Because then you just you just double your worries. You're taking on today's problems and packing on tomorrow's. Don't do you know scripture does teach us to live day by day. Day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Day by day. Why? We don't we're not promised tomorrow. We have no idea what tomorrow might bring. We have no idea what this afternoon might bring. So by worrying about tomorrow, today, we double our sorrows. I have learned in whatever state there with to be content. That learned is a mystery. That word means mystery. Paul says, I've learned the mystery of contentment. That's why I think it was John Flavel who wrote the book, Mystery of Contentment. Somebody did. Might be wrong. But it's a mystery. That word means mystery. I've learned the mystery of contentment. That whatever state I am there with to be content. I've learned it. God teaches that to us. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient. Sufficient unto the day is the evil there too. Today. But what about today? Your Heavenly Father knoweth what you have need of. And He'll provide. And if God, for some strange reason, known unto Himself, if God sovereignly proves or shows or denies us temporarily physical comfort, there's a reason for it. But it's never for our destruction. It's always to strengthen our faith in God. It's always to glorify Himself and to draw us closer to Him. Take no thought. Don't be anxious. What you shall eat, what you shall drink, or wherewithal you shall be clothed. Why? For your Heavenly Father knoweth you have need of these things. So when you're full of anxiety and fearful, take it to the Father. And when you have needs, cast them unto your Father. Anything you ask in my name, thereby believing you shall receive. God is a good and merciful God. Amen. May we be reminded of his compassion and mercy towards his children. Amen. But at the same time, there's a strong rebuke that our Lord gives us that we might be reminded of the evil and danger of being over-anxious about the temporal things. May God give us grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. We thank you for reminding us, Lord, how you take notice of our fears and our anxieties. You, you do care. Five times in this text, the Lord said, take no thought. One time you only had to say, this I saith unto you. Lord, help us to hear your voice. Help us to be reminded that, Father, you know that we have need of all these things. To live this present life, we need to eat, we need to drink, we need to be clothed. Help us, Lord God, to be reminded from this text 
that, Lord, you care enough for it that you will provide our every need. Lord, we trust in your providence. And we pray, Father, that, Lord, you'd help us now to be reminded of it this week. May you be with Brother Stewart as he travels. Give him traveling mercies. I pray that you'd use him for your honor, for your glory. I pray that you'd open up his mouth to speak the wonderful things of Christ. I pray you'd be with his wife and family in his absence. Lord, I pray that you'd keep them safe. Lord, I pray that, Father, you'd help us all to watch over them lovingly and carefully. Father, I pray you'd be with Johnny and Christy as they travel. Lord, we just pray that you'd guide us through this week. But, Lord, today I pray that we would be reminded that the evil of today is sufficient. Let us, Lord God, live for today. Rejoice in you today. Be with Charles. Bless him, we pray. Lord, bless him with your presence and the assurance of eternity. Lord, we love you and thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.